This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the Tribune Sports Editor, Chris Kwasinski. How are you doing, Chris? Good. Busy week, but good. Yeah, uh, that's why we're coming to you on a Friday morning this week. And we thought that was the right move as opposed to a Thursday afternoon like we usually do because of the you know situation revolving around the quarterback situation. Dial it all the way back at the end of the Vanderbilt game. Connor Bazelak goes down with what Eli Drinkwitz was calling a soft tissue injury. Doc, team doctors were looking at his hip on the on the field in Nashville. We don't know whether he practiced this week. We don't know really a, a lot because Eli Drinkwitz is very much coy about the situation, really not revealing much. The first any indication we really got was Wednesday night. You and I were both there at the media availability when kind of a Tosky dub said, well, we kind of look forward to seeing, you know, what the backups do. Or not, not exactly in those words, but essentially hinting that, well, why would well why would you want to see the backups play if they're not playing? Uh, so, yeah. But Connor Bay's acquisition is questionable, which Eli Drinkwitz designated as a 50-50 chance to play. This morning, Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports came out and said the Connor Bay's lack is out for the game and probably, therefore, will not be making the trip to Athens. And he expects to see both Brady Cook and Tyler Macon play against Georgia. Missouri did beat Vanderbilt 37 to 28. Missouri still is 0-8 against the spread. Uh, Chris, we'll start there. Um, what are Missouri's chances of winning or covering the spread? And what are your thoughts on the quarterback situation? Yeah, they have a better chance at covering the spread, to be honest. I mean, it, it, I think it comes down to just what do you do in the final moments, you know? And and the, the thought that kept coming into my head this week is, you know, it, not that it's impossible to win because it's, you know, that's why you play the game. There's there's always a chance. There's always something that can happen. But in a game like this, it, it, to me, a win would be coming out and playing for four quarters, you know, showing that you're competitive not uh, not just coming out and having mundane looks just because you're down 20, 30 points, but uh, especially with whoever's going to be a quarterback. I mean, we saw what Tyler Macon could bring at the end of the Vanderbilt game. He can give you that situational football where you can run the football. He's quick. Um, Brady, I feel, is more of a passer, too, but even Toski mentioned how much he be, he's a, a scrambler and can kind of move with his feet, too. So it's it's respectable in that way, and I can see them covering. I can see them covering in this game and Mizzou finally getting on the board that way. If um, if Georgia does what Mizzou did against SEMO and just kind of put you know the third, fourth stringers in there and just kind of let them play, get them some some starts but uh, or some playing time but then again that's just if things get really bad yeah yeah it, it's going to be interesting because even steve wilkes and eli Drickens have hinted at like you know not a lot of people and some people in this room talking to the media um have you know not given us a chance and i mean steve wilkes's comments i think kind of kind of referred to me because he then said something in the interview that he I think got straight from one of my articles but um i mean it, it is kind of common sense but i mean he's not wrong because i'm not really giving them a chance uh because I mean, we did our pick them all this week, and the four people at the Tribune, myself, you, Digital Letter, Gabby Velasquez, and our managing editor Kevin Grayler, former co-host of this podcast, did all pick Georgia to cover the thirty-seven and a half point spread. And I imagine a lot of the money coming in Vegas will probably make that higher after this 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 has come out. So it's not exactly a incorrect statement to say, well, some of the people in this room are not giving us a chance. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I think it'll be if Missouri looks like Kentucky did in. Athens. I think that's a home run for the program. You know, and 
I don't want to overstate this as well, but getting your butt kicked by Georgia isn't necessarily a bad thing. Who this season hasn't gotten their butt kicked by Georgia? Like, I mean, yes, that means you're kind of falling in line. I mean, it was 10-3, to but Clemson got their butt kicked in that game. That was the furthest apart 10-3 game I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, Georgia's defense did not give them a thing. And so, it, it's, it's you just ran into the buzzsaw this year. I mean, yes, I think per the competition, Georgia might be one of the more dominant defenses We've seen in college football in recent memory. I mean, they are that good. Even with the, their loss of their starters, who's, is it Adam Anderson who came out who's uh, has, has a rape allegation against him and is out indefinitely? I mean, they still got five stars and look like an NFL defense. I mean, yeah, that'll affect them maybe when they get later in the season. They have to face the Alabamas or the Ohio States of the world. But against Missouri, I don't really see it making that much of a difference. When you see how Missouri is played and you see that they give up 200 and, you know, 50 rush yards to Vanderbilt's third string. And I, I think that Georgia's starters are a little bit better than that, and they have a little bit better offensive line. So I, I think that, you know, just even just giving that four quarter effort, minus a Connor Bazelak, minus a Case Cook, on that same injury report, I mean, Sean Robinson's out, Ish Burdeen's out, and Johnny Walker's out. So a promising young defensive lineman, and you're going to have a very thin secondary. I think that if Missouri even just gives a rocky type performance, that's a home run for this program. Yeah, and you go into this game thinking, you know, what what's our goal? And if you can come out and you can play for four quarters, you can be competitive and you can try new things. I mean, this is a game where you can go out there and you can uh, you can really just ask, drink, you know, just flex your offensive mind, you know, try some new things, try some new offensive formations with with this new because Baselak isn't a, isn't a runner like Bacon is, so you can try that stuff. You can put him in there. You can see all that all the offense gels like that in that specific way and. Um, and there's there it's there's an old book um, uh, written by old Philadelphia Eagles beat writer back in like the 70s I believe I have it in my my um, in my apartment it's called No Medals for Valor it's basically the idea is you know you, you don't get you don't, you don't get a moral victory in football and, and that's true you you don't you win or you lose and you take that L if you no matter how big of a point differential it is but at the end of the day this game you you can find you can find something beyond that and whether whether or not that you can find a promising young quarterback you can find good play out of uh some of the defensive players like last week you got a a blocked punt from a walk-on yeah that i mean you can find you can find spots especially with young players making making good plays and georgia is is i mean they're my pick to win the college football championship this year and not just that, but I mean, this is probably the same that would have happened had Mizzou played Alabama in the middle of the season as opposed to the week one last year. Um, just knowing how that offense just grew and grew and grew to be that buzzsaw that it was. Sometimes you're into a buzzsaw, but that's college football. I agree. And that's also kind of, you know, looking ahead for Missouri's schedule, getting that three, you know, getting, you know, not blown out or getting that four quarter performance. It could be good going into their final three games. I mean, I don't think that either one, any one of those final three games, even though Missouri is probably going to be only favored maybe in one of them, and that's going to be South Carolina and probably less than a touchdown, that any one of those is not a winnable game for Missouri. I mean, all three of them are also on the table to be losses, but Missouri could easily, you know, gain momentum somehow from this Georgia game and then run it the rest of the year, get three wins. That's a scenario that could happen here. Missouri goes to a better bowl game. They finish the season on a high. They try and win their first bowl games. It's 2014, and that's probably the most realistic high for the program you can end on this year. They already got a one off the field in Luther Burton, and that cannot be, still cannot be un- overstated how big that was for the program, mm-hmm. considering the dominoes that could fall based off a decision like that. On the field, 
getting to the postseason, winning a postseason game, and doing it under this head coach is what has to happen consistently for this program. So getting that early on, and Perry Odom never won a bowl game here. He was 0-2. And even though he had some good teams, it just seemed like when they needed to put their foot on the gas, when they really needed that push to get into the you know, even top third of the SEC, they couldn't get it done. Eli Drinkwitz can't do it this year, but it could start the road there in the future if they capitalize on playing Georgia and then a South Carolina team, which looked really bad against Vanderbilt too, and then a Florida team that never plays well here, and Dan Mullen is his own anomaly, and we can get into that when they play Florida, but and then you would go to Arkansas, who... I don't want to say they've they've declined, but there's a route to beating them that we didn't think when they maybe were ranked number eight in the country a month ago. So, yes, I I would say that still probably Missouri's probably realistic best. It's probably six and six. I don't think running the table is all that likely, but it is not impossible. Yeah, especially when you just bring up the outstanding factors of Florida always struggles at Faroe. Uh, when you bring up that Arkansas is kind of not the same what they what the what they used to be at the beginning of the season. I, I mean, ever since they took that that loss to Georgia, it, it just seems like they've been kind of sputtering a little bit. And I mean, that makes sense it's just the way that Georgia blanked them. Just, but 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 still, like when you think about it from this point of view, and you at the end of the day, you have to get that win against South Carolina. It's imperative that you get that win. And the other ones, you know, fall fall as they may because they are better teams at the moment, but. Uh, there's still a, a path to the bowl with the academic progress rate, maybe, but that also depends on whether or not there's enough bowl eligible teams, which you never know. You in, but if you sneak into one of those bowl games, uh, you're you're looking at playing a, a team, a, a middling team that's similar to Missouri in some way, or some sort of eight, seven, nine win group, group of five, five team. Yeah. yeah. And, and but I want to ask you is what would what would mean more to this program a win over a middling power five team or uh, a seven eight nine win group of five team? A middling power five team. Yeah. Because that that's a team you're going to see again. That's a team whose trajectory is very similar to yours. Missouri beats Georgia State. Congratulations. You're never going to see Georgia State again in a bowl you're probably never going to play in again at the Crampton Bowl and you know Montgomery Alabama is where they're projected. But Missouri gets a 6-6. Six and six. You go to Charlotte, which is essentially going to be a home game if you play Clemson, which is projected from two sites. I mean, a Missouri victory over Clemson, that sounds just not right. But Clemson's not play- – I mean, Clemson lost to, to Boston College by the exact same amount Missouri did. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, this is not the same Clemson team you've expected where you have a Trevor Lawrence or a Deshaun Watson or – for Missouri fans, the connection Kelly Bryant running kind of kind of pulling the strings there. So there's two points before we get into the uh, Georgia interview with Mark Weiser, which I did earlier this week. I actually taped it, I think Monday night. So a world away from today. Um, number one, we really don't know what Tyler Macon or Brady Cook is capable of. It could be nothing, but it could be something. We, we've only seen both of them except for five minutes of Tyler Macon in non-important scenarios. Brady Cook really has not had a chance to show what he's capable of on the college stage yet. Tyler Macon is still a raw, true freshman. And so that might be known after Saturday. At the end of the day, how much of a difference is there with Connor Bazelak when with all of the... I mean, I still don't think he's had a bad of a year as some people have thought or have said he's had. But there, like that pass against Vanderbilt kind of fed into that. I mean, that was that was a really bad... After that pump block by Stephen Benson, you mentioned, mm-hmm. that was his worst pass of the year. That That's just something that never should have happened. Um, but I still think he's had an, an all right year. How much more along the route of better and quality is he when we haven't seen, despite any turbulence, a Brady Cooker or a Tyler Macon unless absolutely necessary? 
you know, this year. And number two, it's going to be the second straight time Missouri goes into Georgia probably starting a backup. Kelly Bryant was hurt at the end of 2019, and a very inexperienced Taylor Powell got to play, and a very inexperienced Connor Bazelak got to play at the end of that game. And Missouri did not score. Georgia won 27 to nothing. But, you know, it could be a valuable experience between the hedges. Honestly, I'm really looking forward to seeing Tyler play. Uh, and this is and just because at the back end of the Vanderbilt game, I mean, when you watch that touchdown where he uh, had the zone read, the, I believe it was Tyler Beatty. Who was yeah. back there? Yeah, who had the zone read, and, and he was decisive. You know, he saw the guy crash right away and just strolled into the end zone. I mean, it's a guy that understands his strengths, who can understand what he can do, especially in the shotgun and in those kind of formations and that kind of stuff. But I just, I'm curious about how he could throw the ball because obviously we saw a little bit against Semo, but I mean, again, and the, the Semo experience is one thing, but going up against you know the best college football defense in the nation is, is something else, especially when the twos, threes, and fours on that team are still eons better than Simo, so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do, and especially if Brady can come out and just and just spin it, you know, just chuck the ball, just don't just don't think too much about the defense at hand, and just kind of see what you can do with the football. And uh, that's exciting. That's maybe a moral victory if you have two good quarterbacks and come out and, and throw decent games that can show they can protect the football and and can play to their strengths. But but here's the thing, and I, and I think I'm probably in the minority here. I'm more looking forward to seeing Brady play. To be honest with you, between the two. I think that there's a reason why Drinkwitz listed him on the last publicly released depth chart at number two. He's had more time in the program, and the moments kind of here and there against Vanderbilt last year and SEMO this year, his QB IQ seems to be very high. And I think he's probably the clubhouse favorite to start, knowing just he's probably got more of a just you know what you're going to get from him type of presence. I mean, it might be a high-low type thing. You talk about the high potential of a Tyler Macon going against a Georgia defense. I mean, we don't really know what the floor is for this kid. I think that we have a better idea of what the floor and the ceiling is for a Brady Cook, and I think that that might be more important going into a Georgia game. But before we go any further, this is as good as a spot as we'll get to have the transition to talk to Mark Weiser of the Athens Banner Herald, get things from a Georgia perspective this week, fellow brethren from both the Gatehouse Days and USA Today Network. So without further ado, here's my interview from earlier this week with Mark Weiser. Joining the Medusa Sports Podcast this time is the Georgia Athletic Beat reporter for the Athens Banner Herald, Mark Weiser. How are you doing, Mark? Doing well, Eric. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Uh, just first off, we know Georgia's number one in the country. There's a lot of, obviously, they get a lot of coverage because it seems like this year is national title or bust, knowing how kind of college football is set up for them. Is that an accurate estimation just of things in Athens right now? It really is. This is Georgia's year, and it's never going to happen for Kirby if it can't happen this year? No, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I think if they don't win it this year, and I think that they are obviously in great position to to do so, and, and um, you know, I don't know why they couldn't do it in 2022 or 2023 or 2024. I mean, they're recruiting at, at such an elite level that, you know, they're always going to lose talent to the NFL, but they're going to just restock <clears throat> with, uh, you know, with the next generation or next uh, couple of years behind talent. So um, I think there's more pressure on Georgia now because they've been so good and so dominant, and they look like a, a national championship caliber team, especially on defense, um, that, you know, it would be a big disappointment now not to have that happen. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think it's national championship or bust. I don't think they're like, you know, sending Kirby out of town if they, you know, collapse or something. They've gotten a lot of coverage. Obviously the front seven has been dominant this year. Georgia's defense has been one of the best in recent memory. They have great players all over the field, but 
you're the expert. What might be, you know, something that a lot of people don't know about this Georgia team that stands out to you? Well, uh, at, at wide receiver, I mean, basically the guys that are making plays on offense <laughs> pretty much everywhere, except for running back, uh, you would not have expected before the season started. I mean, Stetson Bennett was relegated to third team, basically. You know, his time at Georgia was over in terms of, you know, significant snaps in, 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 you know, when the games matter because it didn't happen last year. He got, he lost his job to JT Daniels after, uh, you know, a rough game against Florida and a bad second half against Alabama. And, you know, they had, uh, Carson Beck was the number two guy, it seemed like after the spring. Um, and, you know, Daniels has just had, you know, several, uh, a couple different injuries that have kept him out. He's only, only played in three games this year. So that's the quarterback situation. And Bennett is a former walk-on that had to go to junior college to, to get a scholarship chance and came back because Justin Fields, I think of my timing is right, left, uh, and Georgia was down to quarterback. Um, <clears throat> you know, at, at wide receiver, George Pickens, the, the best wide receiver on the team toward ACL in the spring. Um, Ari Gilbert transferred in from LSU was supposed to be a, an impact tight end wide receiver guy and has had personal issues and hasn't been hasn't played a snap for Georgia. Um, and there's been just an assortment of other guys that we're counting on to be, you know, big time guys at, at wide receiver that, that really have been, you know, missing a game here or there or, or multiple games with injuries. Um, but their top three receivers uh, or pass catchers, I should say. Are all freshmen. Brock Bowers came in from Napa, California. He was just as one of the eight uh, John Mackey Award semifinalists today. Um, had six touchdowns, 26 catches, 454 yards. Just a terrific athletic guy. They line him up um, to do, uh, you know, wheel routes. Uh, you know, lined up, uh, you know, right right near the line of scrimmage. Lad McConkey, a redshirt freshman that had basically no offers um, except for like, you know, small. Uh, schools, um, you know, is the second leading receiver. Then A.D. Mitchell, um, you know, who has had a really good spring game, is another true freshman, um, and he's the third leading receiver. So Jermaine Burton was expected to do a lot. He hasn't. He's been banged up with injuries with hamstring or groin injury. Kyrus Jackson just finally against Florida, uh, you know, had his best game this season. He was, you know, your co-number one receiver last year with Pickens. Is there a weak spot on this year's team? I mean, you mentioned running back, and that might be that's, a good thing for Missouri fans, but then again... Uh, that's, that's, no, 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 no. Running back is not a weak spot. I just meant by running back that they, the guys that you expected to do it are doing it. Zamir White, James Cook, um, Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton's out for a few weeks with a, with a, a knee injury. But, I mean, Zamir White, especially the last few games, uh, you know, has really come on. And, um, I mean, I, I was, you know, hearing about Missouri's run defense. So it's going to be a long day for Missouri with the way Georgia's running the ball the last couple of games. Oh, I, I figured and that's the point I was uh, yeah, thinking of making is that Vanderbilt's third string running back you know, started for them. Vanderbilt ran up for over 250 yards in Missouri's defense. You would think that that Georgia, whoever they're playing, is probably better than Vanderbilt's third string in theory. Uh, so just if there's a route for Missouri to capitalize on anything Georgia, where would it be? What's the quarterback situation for uh, for Missouri this week? Uh, we are, full discretion. We are taping this Monday night. Don't speak to Eli until tomorrow, but so we don't know. It could be these black could be in full health. We haven't heard anything about that okay. yet. Uh, but if I was a betting man, I'd say probably the backup Brady Cook is probably going to start. Yeah. Um, you know, so Georgia's secondary, if you have to put kind of a weak link on the defense, I, I don't think it's a weak link. I mean, it's much better than we thought it would be because they lost uh, Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes, guys that went in the uh, – 
first and second round. Stokes was the first rounder, and, and Campbell was first pick of the second round, I think it was. Um, and then, you know, Darian Kendrick transferred in from Clemson, a guy that was an OACC cornerback, had some uh, off-field trouble, uh, you know, during his time at Clemson. And he just come in and, and been, uh, you know, a shutdown type cornerback. And then Keely Ringo at the other corner spot has emerged after about three or four games and is playing very well as, as well. Another one of those five-star guys. Uh, that Georgia has recruited, and um, you know, and then at safety they have Louis Cine and uh, Christopher Smith that that are doing um, very well also. So um, I still think you know they really haven't been tested as much as just because their front seven is so good. But um, you know, I, I guess if you're going to find an area for Georgia's defense that that you could say maybe someone could exploit, it might be you know Alabama uh, or Ohio State or Oklahoma in December. Um, you know, or one of those really big games. You've brought up the recruiting a few times, and that, I mean, Missouri and Georgia have kind of, it's definitely been in the headlines up here because of Luther Burden, and I wanted to ask your expert opinion about this because of it. So Luther Burden was a, a tremendous game changer for Missouri, and I'm not sure he would have been just the earth shaker that he was for Missouri had he committed to Georgia, but just tell us more about just how Georgia has recruited and where Luther Burden kind of would have fit in in Athens. You know, I, I know that you guys have had really good receivers over the years. I mean, you mentioned Pickens. I think he was a five-star at his house in Maryland. Just things like that. Just kind of break that down for me. Yeah, Pickens is from Hoover, Alabama. Um, uh, house in Maryland. I'm trying to think who who, uh, who you're thinking of that, that came from there. Georgia has had some guys from the Baltimore area. Um, yeah, I'm trying, there, there was a guy who made a uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Cager uh, a few Lawrence years ago. Lawrence Cager, thank you. Thank yeah, he was he was from there near, near the Baltimore area. He was a, a guy that transferred in from Miami and was a one year Georgia guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember I don't cover recruiting as much until you know closer to, to the two signing days, which I guess really in December is the big signing day. Now we have a recruiting reporter that that you know that's pretty much all he does is is cover the recruiting, and, and he was watching that. Uh, you know, the receiver from Missouri that, you know, Georgia wanted. Um, so that was a really good get from Missouri. Now, having said that, they didn't get him, but Georgia still is number one in the nation in the 247 sports composite for, for 2022. They, they got a couple uh, recent commits. Uh, Bear Alexander, a guy that was a Georgia commit and then looked like he was going to Texas A&M. He's from Texas, now at IMG Academy. Um he kind of recommitted to Georgia, so and they got another guy. I could, actually, I think he's a four-star Alexander, but they, they got another guy, um, another big-time prospect recently also. So they're not hurting in recruiting. And, you know, I'm sure that Georgia's probably not giving up on, on getting the Missouri guy either. Uh, they're still, what, four or five weeks before signing day or, or, you know, something like that. So they don't they don't uh, they don't stop uh, just because the guy says he's committed somewhere. So, um, you know. Georgia has guys on their staff that, you know, recruiting is super important to because it's super important to Kirby Smart. I mean, he, he really made one coaching uh, change, you know, that stood out during his tenure to me, which was Tracy Rocker wasn't getting it done on the recruiting trail in his eyes, so he replaced him with Trey Scott. And, and if you look at Georgia's defensive line now, Jalen Carter's a five-star that came from Florida. Jordan Davis was only a three-star out of Charlotte, but but really has developed and is just a beast in the middle of the defense as a, you know, 600, 6'6 and 350-pound nose guard that's getting some Heisman buzz. So um, Trayvon Walker, defensive end, is a five-star guy also. So um, if you can't recruit, then chances are you're not going to be on Kirby's smart staff for too long. I, I can't remember another time on the beat that I've been here. that It just seems like Missouri has been such a huge underdog. I can't remember. I mean, Missouri has faced, like, FCS teams, group of five teams, and they've been this kind of favorite. But being a near 
six-touchdown underdog to Georgia, it feels deserved, yet it's still mind-blowing to me. I mean, just is, do you think that that kind of separation is true between these two teams where you can see Georgia's just that much further ahead of Missouri on the field right now? What was the score of the Vanderbilt game from Missouri? Uh, it's 31 by 9 against Vanderbilt. Okay, Georgia will beat Vanderbilt 62 to nothing. Um, so I, I was guessing, I was trying to figure out what the point spread would be. I don't really spend too much time on it, but I was thinking like more like 27. I was only off by about 10, I guess, right? So, um, I, I mean, I, mean, I can look this up. It's kind of a UGA historian. His name is Patrick Garvin. He had a tweet out today. I read it, but I didn't pay too much attention to it. I think he has it. I'm, I'm scrolling through my feed now to see. I think he had this as the biggest um, point spread ever by Georgia against another SEC opponent. So um, Georgia was – I actually remember this. I think Georgia was only there by 35 against Vanderbilt, but that was much earlier in the season when you don't have much metrics to go on. This actually isn't the record for Missouri when they faced Nebraska. I think it was in 1990, I want to say seven. They were a 42-point underdog, and then ended up losing that game 57 nothing. So, you know, uh, I'll look that up but uh, for other articles this week. But, yeah, this is it, it's just a bizarre kind of figure when you look at that. It's kind of you look at that and you see that's the non-conference game for Alabama, you know, when they played New Mexico State or Louisiana Monroe, not Missouri-Georgia, right? Yeah, I would say, though, that, I mean, this is a noon kickoff. After, you know, every game against Florida, it's kind of an emotional rivalry game, and Georgia just won the SEC East. Now, that's not the end-all, be-all for Georgia winning the East. Um, and so, I, you know, and last time they had a noon kick against um, Arkansas, Kirby Smart made a big deal about getting the fans, you know, amped up and ready to go for an early start. Um, and But college game day was here, so it was also added to the atmosphere. This seems like the kind of game that, that you know, maybe Missouri um, could take advantage of that situation where it's just a natural letdown type start. But, you know, George is pretty good, so um, you know I don't know if that's enough to you know maybe it's enough to to get the point spread to thirty or something. I don't know. Everything's one hundred percent open in Georgia right now, post COVID, right? That you can expect ninety two thousand on Saturday. Oh yeah, it's been like that all season. There's uh, yeah, that that's not an issue. I mean, I don't know if it'll be ninety two thousand. Like I said, if if some fans are, you know, maybe they're like partied out from either the Braves winning the World Series or or losing it. When does that series end? I guess probably it's, I don't yeah, either Tuesday or Wednesday. Based on yeah, I mean, I don't know if Georgia, if Georgia, if, uh, if the Braves win the World Series, maybe they're doing a Saturday Saturday parade. So maybe some fans will go to that. I don't know. That, that is something to think about. If you, so, I guess just overall, you know, if, if you're going to come to the Athens area, what, what, what would kind of be your recommendations? You were talking off recording about this, but like. What would be your recommendations for Missouri, any Missouri fans kind of traveling if they're especially if they're not staying in the city of Athens uh, for Saturday? You're talking about restaurants, uh, either restaurants or how, how early to get there because of traffic or any anything of the above. I mean, for me, in terms of traffic and stuff, I like to get places early. I'd rather sit and wait for two hours on the road. So I say get to your parking spot if you have one, and you know. Walk around. I don't know what the weather. I think it's supposed to be a little bit chilly, but um, you know, wear appropriate uh, clothing for a, a cold November morning and uh, walk around campus and uh, you know, hit up some fine establishments. I'm sure the bars will be open, ready to to serve. And uh, if you want to risk, uh, you know, waiting in line for an hour and a half for a good breakfast, Mama's Boy uh, is uh, is uh, you know well received downtown um, restaurant. Uh, serves up some good. Uh, Biscuit sandwiches and, and other fine uh, breakfast foods. 
how do you kind of see this one ending up? I, I, I think it's obvious to say a Georgia victory here, but do you think that, you know, Missouri can contend in any way and really even make this kind of respectable like Kentucky did? I mean, not based on what, you know, the results from Missouri recently. I mean, I don't know exactly. I haven't had a chance to watch as much Missouri football as as I would like. Um, but, you know, I think I was talking about Missouri um, during the off season, like when people would say, well, you know, what kind of – what games – you know, it might be kind of a sneaky game for Georgia's schedule. And, and I, I brought up Missouri because, you know, the game last year, wasn't it pretty competitive in the first half? I don't remember exactly now. Because, uh, first, in the first half, it absolutely was competitive. In the second half, it was not. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I, I was impressed with, with how, uh, you know, Drake Woods had the program going, uh, you know, and, and obviously it's it's been a little bit more difficult this year. So, um, I don't know, maybe they have a finishing kick. They're going to have a great November. Um, and, uh, you know, I know uh, Tyler Beatty had a good game rushing last time. I mean, it's going to be really hard against Georgia's run defense uh, to to be able to put up, you know, significant yards. I mean, Florida's quarterbacks had great rushing numbers, and and uh, they didn't against Georgia. That you know seems to happen, um, you know, a lot against teams that that uh, have something going in the run game, and then Georgia shows up and uh, not not so much. Sounds good. Well, Mark, where can everybody kind of read the opponent's perspective this week and catch up with all your work? Uh, onlineathens.com. Um, check it out there. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark Weiser, M-A-R-C-W-E-I-S-Z-E-R. And, um, yeah, so it uh, should be uh, – you'll, you'll at least be done uh, by, like, 5 o'clock Eastern, and you can uh, go back and uh, chill out before you – do you have a flight Saturday night or Sunday morning? Uh, I'll be flying out Sunday morning out of Atlanta, and uh, so maybe you and I can get a meal or something. That'd be great. Sounds good. All right, well, that was Mark Wadger from the Athens Venner Herald. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and I'll, I'll see you on Saturday. Appreciate you. All right, see you. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou Football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra Newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, John, question. With Auburn firing Gus Malzahn, it leaves Ed Ogeron as the SEC's only coach who has beaten Nick Saban. Who's going to be the next SEC coach to beat Saban? Well, I don't think he'll be the guy that a lot of people think he will be. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. I like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. He almost beat Saban last year, and he almost beat Saban when he was at Tennessee. Fisher promised he was going to thump Saban's rump whenever Alabama comes to College Station. I think he's got a shot. He improved Texas A&M to 9-1 last year. He's got a national championship 
championship to his name. If Haynes King is the real deal, he's got an early opportunity in October to beat Nick Saban. Look at Saban's track record for losses. It's usually to a great quarterback, Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, or Joe Burrow. Matt Corral at Ole Miss, I think, could be the best quarterback in the league. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland, but I did interview Bear Bryant and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you once again to Mark for joining us on this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. Definitely great to catch up with a fellow Montgomery County, Maryland native. Uh, now kind of getting into just our final predictions for this week's game. Where do you see this one kind of ending? Yeah, I, I see I see kind of being a, a SEMO result where on the other side for, for Mizzou where Georgia's going to get up early, they're going to get up often, and they're going to do what they do best to make sure they have the game in the bag. And Samir White's going to have a big game. I, I like him a lot, especially as a guy that comes from the same, uh, cut from the same cloth as the Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubbs of the world and that kind of stuff. Maybe not as good as those running backs are, but I still like what he can bring to the table. Um, I, I think it's more so along the lines of uh, Georgia 45, Mizzou 20 with a couple of touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Maybe they get a Harrison Mevis field goal in the first qu- in the first half, first quarter, maybe. But uh, it all depends on what Drinkwitz can throw at them to start the game. That would mean the Missouri does cover the spread for the first time this year. Uh, I don't expect that to happen. I think that just something about being in that offense, and I mean, you got to keep in mind that George's backups are still like four-star, five-star kids that just haven't had the chance to play because this front seven has been so good. They're going to look for a chance to prove themselves. And Kirby's a defensive coach. So, yeah, Mizzou might have tough sledding this year, or just in this game, excuse me. And, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go 50-10 to 10, Missouri. I mean, maybe even like 55-10. Like, I just – this is I, – I just – just, just, just throw this one out with the bathwater. I mean, this is you're playing Georgia. Mm-hmm. I, I would be pleasantly surprised if Missouri has a Kentucky type performance, even though I think that's the ceiling. I just think that Georgia is just that good, especially knowing where Missouri's faults are and knowing where Georgia's strengths are. This is a bad matchup, even for a good Missouri team. Yeah, and my and my twenty points only come from like the final. What like four minutes of the fourth quarter? Where that's, that's a lot to score I, in that period of time. Well, I mean, like kicks are going to happen there. Yeah, well, I, f- I feel like there's going to be a like m- maybe they'll get a Harrison Mevis field goal at the end of the first half or some um, some sort of way or whatever. What whatever points come before the fourth end of the fourth quarter, and then they'll just throw you know just whatever they've got at, at those fourth stringers that they have and that kind of stuff just to see what they can throw together and um, and, that, and that's where I say that comes from. And I think they'll get lucky with an onside kick because Harrison Mevis is the team. Besides Tyler Beatty. Well, Sean Ketting would be the one doing the onside kicks. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Oh, well, Sean, too. He'll prove that, he, he, he's, <laughs> he'll prove that he's the, the diamond in the rough here. Fair, fair enough. But okay, I guess just kind of going on to the overall of college football, we did have the first CFP release on Tuesday. And, yeah, it went not as expected. Uh, number one was Georgia. Number two, Alabama. Three was Michigan State. 
Four was Oregon, five Ohio State, and Cincinnati was six. Going a little bit further, Michigan at seven, Wake Four no Oklahoma at eight, Wake Forest at nine. Was that correct? Or did I mix them up? No, Wake Forest was nine. Wake Forest had to be nine. I can pull I can pull it up right here really quick. But yeah, and that, one of those two right there. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, Notre Dame ten and um, actually, more I think about it, I think Oklahoma was nine. Because it was shocking to see Wake Forest even as the season they've had a little bit higher. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, Wake Forest was nine. Yeah, I believe Wake Forest was nine or Oklahoma was nine. Who knows? I'll look it up when once 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 you talk. But what was your reaction to seeing everything? Yeah, to, to be honest, the 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 reaction to me was that the group of five still gets no respect. I mean, at the end of the day, like you saw a seven to one Michigan team get slated at seven over an undefeated Cincinnati team, and I, I mean, it, to me, it's in. It also shows the committee has this this past bias on past teams that have made the college football playoff in in terms of Oklahoma, or not Oklahoma excuse me Ohio State at seven one which hasn't looked as impressive as past Oklahoma or excuse me past Ohio State teams I don't know why I'm mixing those two schools up right now but out of Ohio State hasn't looked as dominant as past Buckeye teams have and yet they're five they're they're right behind Oregon a team that beat them the only team that beat them and I'm shocked that Oregon's in the top four because of that underwhelming loss to a, a middling Stanford team like this is this isn't something that you can just look at and be like oh it, you know the best teams are going to make it every year and then this is why the the football playoff needs to expand because at the end of the day we're going to get the same teams over and over and over again in Alabama at two which I mean I they should have been they should be in the top four but I don't think they should be two especially after the loss to Texas A&M and this is a team that's shown cracks this year the only surefire team is Georgia at one overall. Michigan State, you can make an argument a little bit here and there just because of some of the uh, results they had this year. Yeah, the win over Michigan was great, but at the end of the day, what else? Who else have they beaten this year? I know they struggled a couple times with some middling Big Ten teams, and so it's it's just a very interesting way to scrap together a, a first top twenty-five of the college football playoff ranking, especially when you have Mississippi State at seventeen. I know they just beat Kentucky, but I mean a five and three team over. Some you know some one loss group of five teams to me it just it just doesn't just doesn't click right away. Yeah. So my biggest complaint would be if I was Cincinnati, obviously, and so and people are also saying like this is going to work itself out. I don't know. I don't know about that because this is there's never been a year that has been more designed to scream we need expansion than right now. Because I think the number one thing that jumps out to me, obviously Georgia. Um, Provided they don't lose between now and the SEC title game, they're a lock. Putting Alabama number two tells me a couple of things. Number one, I mean, A&M is number 14 here, and they lost by field goal on the road, and they've looked pretty dominant outside of that, except for the Florida game. And so, does a two-loss Alabama stay in if it's a narrow loss to Georgia? I mean, I, I think that possibility is on the table here. It's like, could just because of the dominance of the SEC, they give them just two spots no matter that outcome that that's on the table here you know and i don't know if there's ever been a two loss team that's ever made the playoff and so i mean i'm i'm thinking kind of the big 10 way that when you have a big 10 team at three five and seven and they're all on the same side of the big 10 that will probably work itself out and one of those teams is guaranteed to get in so therefore you kind of have two locks Oregon and Ohio State did play early, earlier this year, and Ohio State's loss is to the number four team, and they've looked okay outside of that. You mentioned Oregon, so if Oregon wins out, they're in by default. 
And so if I'm Cincinnati, that's not only concerning in front of me, but in back of me, Wake Forest wins out, Oklahoma State wins out when Oklahoma, or sorry, Oklahoma wins out when Oklahoma at number eight still has Oklahoma State and Baylor at 11 and 12 behind them and games that could be good against them. And then another team on the other side of the Big 12 who might come out. I mean, maybe that's an Iowa State. I'm not sure who's leading that side of the Big 12 right now. Uh, Maybe that's Baylor. I don't know. Um, But three quality wins to add that could vault them. If Wake Forest wins out, how do you deny a – even though the ACC is complete crap from top to bottom this year, how do you deny a team that just did everything they could? You know, how do you deny that team? So I I think Cincinnati needs way more help than they thought they did coming into this past weekend. Yeah, if if Cincinnati was at four, if they were at five, I would say that, yeah, maybe the path is a little easier because at that point, all you need to do is just wait for someone to, to lose in that case. And, and in this in this case, you're going to get one if it, it was Alabama losing to Georgia in the SEC championship game, if it's Michigan State losing in a Big Ten championship game or in to Ohio State later this year, I believe, or even just watching Oregon have struggle, you know, down the road like we've we've seen some Oregon teams do in the in the past uh, previous seasons, and, and same with an Ohio State team that we've talked about who's just kind of struggling a little bit this year with, with some inexperience at quarterback. But um, that's that's six right there. Yeah, it, it tell it tells you all you need to know about. Um, about what the committee feels about group of five teams. Because last year, at this point, when Cincinnati was undefeated, or not at this point, where at the end of the season, when Cincinnati finished, I believe it was like eighth, eight or seven or so, uh, the committee was like, well, we like them a lot, but they haven't played any Power Five teams. They haven't played any big-time competition. This year, they played Indiana in one, and they played Notre Dame in one. Right. Yet they're still sitting there, and that's only good enough for two more spots up. To me, that it's it's and Nicole Auerbach, the athletic, wrote about this last December too, which is like this isn't the, the college football playoff isn't for everybody. No, it's for Power Five teams only, and it's an invitational that no Group of Five team will ever get an invitation to, and I think this just proves it. Yeah, and that's why they need to expand. And so, putting you on the spot before we get out of here for this episode, the four teams that make it as of right now are Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Cincinnati. Really? Okay. I think it's going to be Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama. I think a two-loss Alabama gets a third shot at number four coming in against Georgia as right now. I just, yeah, I, I mean. There's no way they'll leave them out. I, cause I think, at this point, I just, anything other than a blowout to Georgia, I, I mean, they, they branded Alabama. As, I mean, that that's the Alabama bias coming out. Mm-hmm. Just no other way of saying it. And so, unfortunately, I think that's the biggest takeaway is Alabama number two. How strong of a number two are they? We'll find out. Yeah. And especially, I think back to 2018 when they lost in the last game of the season to Auburn and dropped to five and ended up making the college football playoff and winning the championship anyway. So, at the end of the day, like, Alabama has that bias for a reason. And, yeah, like, they ended up winning the national championship game. But still, I mean, the committee is always going to favor that team. Yep. Anything else you want to talk about this week before we get out of here? Uh, first impressions for basketball coming up on Tuesday? Yeah, they're a big mystery. We'll find out. Uh, you know, I think that, I think that it'll be an interesting non-con. I mean, we get the border war, we got bragging rights, but we should know a lot more about this team very quickly. Like going into last year, we kind of knew who they were already. We don't know that, but they should be an easy team to figure out. Yeah, and I feel the same for the women too. I mean, that's got a lot of upperclassmen. I'm really looking forward to watching Aja Blackwell play. Everyone's told she's me that she's, yeah, she's just a fun to watch. And um, when it comes to the SEC. That's probably the best women's basketball conference, and it will be for the upcoming however long the universe lasts. So, Yes, however long the universe lasts. Let's leave it right there. But for Chris Krasinski, I've been Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we'll see you next time.